And our gospel reading comes from Matthew chapter 25, beginning at the 14th verse. For it, that is, the day of the Lord, will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness... In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are our refuge from one generation to another. Teach us to apply our hearts to the wisdom that you give us, even when that's a difficult wisdom to receive. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What does God require of us? How can you and I be sure, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that we'll be received into the joy of the master and not be cast into outer darkness? 
This parable freaks me out. Does this parable freak you out? This parable freaks me out. It freaks me out because at first reading, it makes me think that God is a brutal taskmaster, really severe boss to have. It makes me think that earth is nothing but a big heavenly exam, and it's a hard exam to pass. Freaks me out. Verse 29 freaks me out. To everyone who has, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's the condition of sloth, the condition of unfaithfulness. It's a kind of spiritual atrophy that what little muscle we have but we don't put into use actually dies and perishes and is useless. See, this is a a parable that tells us about what God requires. God requires faithfulness. And this parable is a warning against unfaithfulness, against sloth, or if you're English, sloth, which I think is a much cooler way to pronounce that word. (laughs) It's a warning against unfaithfulness. God requires faithfulness to enter into the joy of the master, That's the kind of joy that these two faithful servants enter into in verses 21 and 23. Faithfulness is a sort of fidelity. It's a loyalty. It's a commitment. It's a dedication. It's a dependability, a trustworthiness from one soul to another. Faithfulness is what God requires. I think this parable is telling us about what it means to be faithful. What does it look like to be a faithful servant? Because I don't know about you, but I want to enter into the joy of my master. It's a lot better than the alternative, at least sure sounds that way. What does it require to enter into that joy of the master? It requires faithfulness. And faithfulness, I want to suggest, based on Jesus' parable here, which is like a window into the kingdom, based on Jesus' parable, faithfulness looks like this. It looks like a faithful servant who, one, makes the most of what's given to him, and two, knows the master's heart. Faithful servants are those who make the most with what's given to them, and they know the master's heart. And this is important for us to consider this morning. Because as we've seen, faithfulness seems to make that difference between entering, entering into the joy of the master, the eternal joy of our heavenly father, and being cast out in separation from him forever. This is an eternally significant truth for us to consider. So if we're freaked out, like I'm a little freaked out, I think there's good news for us in this parable. There's good news in God's faithful character. We need to see God as the faithful master. And we're going to see, I think, a little bit of what that means. Let's dive into our reading this morning, Matthew chapter 25 here. Matthew's gospel is a spirit-inspired biography of Jesus. Here we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is a Spirit-inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired biography of Jesus that in many ways is considered a sort of manual for discipleship. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives us... Should I go into this mic here? Is that going to be easier? Okay, for sure. The Gospel of Matthew is a spirit-inspired biography that gives us something of a a manual for discipleship. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives us 
five sermons that outline what life in the kingdom is like, that outline for us what it looks like to apply ourselves as faithful disciples. And now here we are in Matthew chapter 25. We're in his fifth sermon. And in his fifth sermon, Jesus is telling us about what it looks like to apply ourselves faithfully in anticipation of the day of the Lord, the day where the Lord returns, the day where our holy and just God visits his justice upon an unholy and unjust, 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 unjust world. It's going to be a big day. This is the day that Zephaniah talks about in, uh, in, in his letter. It's a day of wrath, a day of distress, anguish, ruin, devastation, darkness, gloom, clouds, and thick darkness. This is a day that is going to change everything as God brings his holiness to bear on an unholy world. And so what are disciples called to as we await this day? We're called to be watchful. Chapter 25, verse 13, we're called to be faithful, vigilant. We're called to be dependable. See, what does it look like to be faithful servants? Jesus wants us to know. It looks like a faithful servant makes the most with what they're given. So I've been trying to think of an illustration for this, and you'll have to forgive me because I think it's going to sound a little silly, but bear with me here. What does it look like to make the most with what you're given? So have you ever been to a a kindergarten graduation? Have you ever been to one of these kind of ceremonies where the six-year-olds kind of have the gowns and the caps on, right? And it's a wonderful little thing where they walk them across the stage and they give them that little certificate that says, you know, you graduated kindergarten, right? And then, and it's a wonderful celebration there. Well, this is a, a, a graduation ceremony that I've never seen a parent not been proud to go to. I mean, there's a certain kind of pride to just watch your six-year-old receive that certificate that says you've had your first academic accomplishment and you're moving forward. You've made a success of it. Now, imagine for a moment a parent had a, a child, a six-year-old, graduating kindergarten on the same day as their student, their college-age student, was graduating from their engineering program, let's say. Let's say this kindergartner's graduation was in the morning and the college graduation was in the afternoon. Would you ever think a parent would go up to this kindergarten student, this kindergarten child of theirs, this well-loved son or daughter, and say, you know, this is all a farce. You know this is a joke, right? You know that the real responsibility is what your brother, what your sister accomplished, and that's what we're going to celebrate this afternoon. They're going to get the ice cream, not you so much. Have you ever, I mean, that's, that would be inconceivable. I mean, the responsibility that's been entrusted to the six-year-old is appropriate for where they're at. It's worth celebrating that success. Likewise, the responsibility that's been entrusted to this college-age student is appropriate for their capabilities, and it's worth celebrating their success. Now, there's a million ways this illustration could break down, but my point is this. My point is that God calls his servants to faithfulness in accordance with their abilities. God calls his servants not to serve in accordance, not to to have quantity in their return, but in quality of their faithfulness. Let's look at verses 14 and 15 together. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. He gave one five talents, another two, and another one, each according to their ability. Now, when I hear talents here, I'm tempted to think that 
you know, he, the master is kind of just handing out, you know, like a fiver here and a toonie there and one, I just don't really have a sense of the currency here. But what we need to think is we need to think big. A, a denarius is a, is, is a coin that was given for a day's wages. What we're talking about when we talk about a talent is not just day's wages. We're talking about decades worth of wages. We're talking about at least 19 or 20 years worth of wages. This is the investment that the master is entrusting to his servant. So I did a little bit of math, which I do from time to time in my job. It's, you know, I didn't really sign up for a theology degree to do math, but I did math this week. The average Canadian salary, the average Canadian income is something around $78,000, or at least so this website says. So if you multiply that by at least 19, you get something like $1.5 million. So we're talking a multi-million dollar investment this master is making in a servant just with one talent. That's a lot of money. That is a generous investment. That is a whole lot of trust that the master is putting into this servant. This is not handing him a loony and saying, knock yourself out. This is a serious partnership that the master is inviting the servant, even with one talent into. Imagine multiplying that by five. And the master has entrusted this talent to a servant not to see them fail, but to see them succeed. The master is given to these servants according to their ability. It suggests to us that God gives us various giftings, various skills, various resources with which to serve him in accordance with our purpose and calling. This should free us from the trap of comparison. Do you ever find yourself looking over your shoulder what brothers and sisters in Christ are up to? Maybe you look at an evangelist with a multinational evangelistic association, you think, wow, that's a faithful servant. I'm nothing like that. God has called us to be faithful exactly where we're at, with exactly what he's entrusted to us. We have the opportunity, be we one-talent servants or five-talent servants, to be equally faithful to what God has called us to do right where we're at. God is not interested in the quantity of the return. He's interested in the quality of our faithfulness to apply ourselves diligently to what he's called to, called us to and where he's called us to serve. So consider, what are the skills that God's given me? What are the resources that he's given me? Where do I spend my time and my attention? What can move the kingdom agenda forward in these areas? How can I participate with, what's God's, with what God's doing in and through my spheres of influence. This is how we hand over the talents that God has entrusted to us. And our English word talent literally comes from this parable. It comes from the investment that God has made in us, the generous skills and resources that God has seen fit to entrust to us. Faithful servants make the most with what they're given. I think we get a picture of this with the faithful woman who gives two coins in the offering. Do you remember that story in the Gospels? Here are all these wealthy people giving out of their abundance. But it's Jesus who points out that woman who gave two copper coins in the offering, and he says, that is what generous giving looks like. That's what faithful obedience looks like. It looks like answering the call exactly where they're at. She applied herself faithfully to be a faithful servant, not because she had an abundance to give, but because she gave completely exactly where she's at. That's the kind of faithfulness to which we disciples are called. We're called to be faithful with exactly what God has given us, and he has given us everything we need to be faithful to him. 
So what's our talent? What's God invested in us? What do we have to give forward? These are the things we can prayerfully meditate on. God entrusts his servants generously and calls us to be faithful exactly where we're at. Faithful servants make the most with what they're given. Here's the other thing I want us to see. Faithful servants know the master's heart. This is a bit more subtle, and this comes from the negative example of the servant who, uh, of, of the wicked servant, the slothful servant. In verse 24, when the master returns, of course, God is coming in the day of justice and judgment. He comes and he visits the servant who's buried the coin. Here's what the servant has to say. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. You ever been afraid of God? You ever had a moment of silent terror, thinking that you just don't measure up to what he's asking? I think the servant knows what that feels like. I knew you to be a hard man. You could literally translate that phrase, I knew you to be a merciless man. I knew you to be without mercy. You are so ruthless that you'll go into fields that you had nothing to do with and you'll see what they have to offer you. I knew you to be a ruthless man. And at first glance, we might read this and go, it sure sounds like the master is a ruthless, merciless master because he seems to agree with them in verses 26 and 27. You knew that I reap where I didn't sow, gather where I scattered no seed. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers. It's easy to get an image, isn't it, that God is a terrifying taskmaster who holds over our head a bar that we failed to meet. That's what this wicked servant's relationship is like with his master. I knew you to be a hard man. But we need to be careful with what this text says and what it doesn't say. This text doesn't say that the master agrees with this servant's characterization of him. This master simply is pulling apart the servant's logic. He's not saying, you're right, I am very hard, and I'm bringing the hammer down. Biblical scholar Craig Blomberg has this to say. Let me pull my notes out here. He has this to say about the master's response. See, the master does not necessarily disagree with, or pardon me, agree with his servant's characterization of him. Rather, the master's words, he says, sound like biting sarcasm. He points, that, he points out, even if the servant were right, he should have realized that his inaction proved all the more inconsistent with his premise. Disobedience would surely elicit a severe master's wrath. So what's the master saying here? The master is not saying, you're right, I am a hard man. The master is saying, let's follow this logic through. If you thought I was a hard man, you had so much more reason to apply yourself to the bare minimum faithfulness that was required of you. The bare minimum would have been taking your money, taking your talent to the bank and getting a minimum interest out of it. Instead, out of fear, you buried it in the ground. It's not saying that the master is severe. It's saying that this servant failed to understand this master's character. This servant believed his master to be merciless, and so he acted accordingly. He was afraid, so he hid. This is the same reaction we see in Genesis 3, isn't it? When Adam and Eve fall from grace, and they eat the forbidden fruit, and now they've rebelled against God, they're on the run. They go hiding. They, they go on the lamb. And so here God visits them, 
And he says, where are you? And what is it that Adam says? He said, I hid, for I was afraid. I was afraid. Why is Adam afraid in that moment? I want to suggest it's because he believes God is to be without mercy. He will visit his justice swiftly on them both because that's what faithless servants deserve. They deserve justice. Here the servant is afraid. I was afraid because I knew you to be without mercy. You were going to visit swift justice on me. So I didn't want to even risk losing what you entrusted to me. Do you know that feeling? That feeling of being terrified from God, being on the run, hiding away, burying what's entrusted to us in the ground, in sin, self-will, or rebellion. Taking what God's given to us and boring it deep. So the good news here, friends, is not try hard enough, be faithful enough, and you'll have measured up and enter into the kingdom. The good news here is that for those of us who know that fear, who know that feeling of I have not measured up, the good news is for us there is a faithful one. There is one who has accomplished what we have not. There is one who has lived the perfect life and met the standard that was required for us, and his name is Jesus. Jesus was not just a five-talent servant. He was someone who was entrusted with everything of what it means to be God. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. He is God in the flesh. Though he was in the form of God, is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He is preeminent in all things, is what Paul says in Ephesians. This is someone to whom belongs the whole property of what it means to be God. And yet he took on our human flesh. He stepped into our unfaithful condition. He stepped into what it means to be human. And he lived the perfect life on our behalf. He lived the faithful life that we failed to live, that Adam and Eve failed to live, so that he could redeem humanity and bring us back into a right relationship with our Heavenly Father so that we could enter into the joy of the Master. That's what the cross is. The cross is the exchange. The cross is the exchange of our buried talent for Jesus' righteousness, for the great return that he's received of our salvation. That's that's what it means to put our trust in Jesus, is to put our trust in his faithfulness, the faithfulness that he's accomplished on our behalf. See, we are like the faithless servant. We've buried our talents. We've buried what God has entrusted to us in sin and self-will and rebellion. And yet Jesus, the faithful one, went to the cross, went to the grave, was buried in the ground, much like we buried our own talents, and for our sake was raised up again so that we could have the hope of newness of life, of eternal joy in the master's arms, so that we can know the hope of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is how Paul concluded our New Testament reading today, and it's a wonderful verse that I think is just worth memorizing. God has not destined us for wrath, is what Paul says, but, he, but to obtain the salvation pardon me, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. That's the exchange of the gospel, friends. Jesus lived the faithful life that we didn't, so that putting our trust in his faithfulness means that we can live forever, 
so that we can live as those who enter into the joy of the master. God is for us and not against us. God is not a harsh taskmaster who holds a bar over our head and says, you did not meet it. Our God is a God who supplies the faithfulness that he requires of us in Christ so that through Christ, we can enter into the joy of our master. That means a few things for us. That means that we who apply ourselves as disciples can do so with confidence that we will enter into the master's eternal joy. We don't have to be left wondering whether or not we're going to make the cut. We don't have to be left wondering if God, at the end of the day, is a harsh taskmaster who is against me. Because our God in Jesus Christ is for us. He has supplied the faithfulness that he requires. When I put my trust in him, that faithfulness becomes mine. And I'm invited to take up my cross and to follow after him in faithfulness. See, a justifying faith, a faith that makes us right with God, is a faith that works itself out in real time in good works, in good works of faithfulness. I recognize what God has invested in me. The ministries that God has given me, the ministries that God has given us, the places that God has placed us, the resources that God has given us. And I simply have to ask the Lord, Lord, what does it mean to take up my cross right here and follow after you for the sake of my neighbor, for the sake of your kingdom? That's what faithfulness looks like for the disciple. So friends, we can have confidence. God has supplied the faithfulness that he requires of us in Christ. We know that God is for us. And now we can do that work of discerning what is it that God's given us? What is it that I can bless my neighbor with? What is it that I can invest for the sake of the kingdom? Not for fear that there'll be a reprisal, that I'll be cast out, but rather with confidence that I'll be like the faithful servants who were received into the joy of the master. What does that mean for you today? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for New Song? I praise the Lord that New Song is a serving parish. We're a parish that wholeheartedly serves We are full of servants who apply themselves to this gospel truth, who say yes to the Lord's call. We're a parish that wants to move forward, even in such a time as this. Because you'll notice that the faithful servants didn't delay. They went out right away. At once is what verse 16 says. Some translations say immediately. There's no time like the present to apply ourselves to faithfulness in our walk with the Lord. It might be easy to say, well, Lord, after the pandemic, we'll get back to it. But right now, right now is when the Lord has called us to faithfulness. Right now is when the Lord has called you and I to walk in the road our our Savior Christ has faithfully walked for us. So Father, we pray that you would give us inspiration and illumination as we faithfully follow after you. We thank you, Lord, that we can have confidence that our Savior Christ has been the faithful servant has gone on the cross to outer darkness for our sake to rescue us, to redeem us, and to renew us by the hope of his resurrection. So, Father, would you send us from here? Send us in faithfulness. Teach us how to be obedient disciples. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.